Hey, this is Chuck Billy from Testament right here on Mars Attack. Hey, this is Tim Ripper Owens. This is Bobby Bliss from Overkill. You stay tuned. Hey, this is Ron Bumble for Fall of Guns N' Roses, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dave Windor from Monster Magnet. Hello, everybody. This is Michael Kiske talking. Hey, this is Richard Patrick from Filter. Hey, everybody, what's happening? This is John Bush, and you're cranking it up on Mars Attacks. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Don Jameson from That Metal Show on DH1 Classic. Hey, everybody, this is your big daddy-o, Gene Hoagland. This is Kurt Winstein from Crowbar. This is Alan Tecchio from Autumn Hour, Hades, Nonfiction, Watchtower, Minds, Mirrors, and other assorted bands that you're listening Listening to Mars Attacks Radio. Hey, Mother Hudson, Hudson, I know this is Dolo Passion. Hi, this is Conrad Aquinas, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Yow! Hi, yeah, okay, so hey, this is Paul Shortino. How you doing? Formerly of Rough Cut, Quiet Riot, and currently with King Cobra. You're listening to Mars Attack. <laughs> Hello, this is Dave Rethid, and you're listening to Mars Attacks with my good buddy Victor. Crank it up. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Mark from Chimera. Hi, this is Margarita Monet. I'm from Edge of Paradise, and you are listening to Mars Attacks Radio. This is Clay Withrow from Van Gogh, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. What's up? This is Morgan from Kitty, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Welcome, one and all, to episode 53 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor. And for this episode, we have three interviews for you. So this Christmas, Christmas 2011, Mars Attacks gifts you interviews with... We have Clay from the band Van Gogh. We have Margarita from the band Edge of Paradise... And we have Morgan Lander, lead singer and guitarist of Kitty. So this is a Kitty Christmas special, per se. We kick things off there with Empires Part 2 from Kitty, coming off of their great new album, I've Failed You. And uh, something that I mentioned during the interview, the band has really reinvented itself, really reestablished itself from their previous album, In the Black, uh, to this album. I got to see them live during the In the Black tour, and they absolutely kicked my ass at BB King's in New York. 
you know, I thought that, you know, they would have a good live show. And, you know, you see bands, they put out good albums, and you wait to, you know, see them live, and they absolutely suck. Well, Kitty was able to back everything up on their um, on their tour there. And uh, it's a shame that they don't get over here to Europe more often. Uh, but it is what it is. You know, the industry is the way... Uh, that it is right now. Unfortunately, had our good friends White Wizard just communicate how they had to drop off of the Ice Earth tour here in Europe. And uh, I got to see them here in Bilbao, Spain. And unfortunately, unfortunately for them, you know, I bought all the merch that they had that night, you know, and that, that absolutely sucks, you know, a band like them uh, that is a pretty good band. Say what you want about John Leon. You can form your own opinions or whatnot regarding him. But he puts out solid album after solid album, and everyone that he's associated uh, with are nothing but top-notch players, and no different with this lineup, and they put on a great show, and it's unfortunate that, um, that you know, they had to cut things short. In any event, we'll have more with John Leon in the coming weeks. We'll have uh, a triple interview with him as well, with John Schaefer of Ice Earth. And Chris from a band called Fury UK. Outside of that, uh, this interview, like I said, has members of Edge of Paradise and uh, members of Van Gogh in it. Uh, but what I want to do before jumping into the interview portion, want to remind you guys that you can subscribe to the Mars Attacks podcast right there on iTunes. Please leave a comment, good, bad, or indifferent. You know, whatever you want to say is cool. Uh, also, you can stream or download these episodes directly from MarsAttacksRadio.com. Uh, also, go to Mars Attacks Radio to find out about you know the various uh, radio shows that I do. Uh, the Mars Attacks Radio Show itself airs on Mark Striegel Radio. That is Stream A of Mark Striegel. That can be found right there on MarkStriegelRadio.com. Or directly from MarsAttacksRadio.com. Right there on the homepage you'll find a widget that will allow you to listen to Mark Striegel Radio. To stream A specifically, which is the stream that I help program. Um, My shows, Mars Attacks Radio, air Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. You'll find the times right there on the homepage of Mars Attacks Radio. This week what we did was sort of respond to the guys over at the Decibel Geek Podcast. And uh, what I wanted to do was just promote their podcast a little. A bunch of great guys, uh, Chris and Aaron over there, and uh, thoroughly enjoy what they do. Thoroughly enjoy what a lot of the sites that have uh, come around and helped contribute to the Mars Attacks Classic Albums column. If you haven't checked that out yet, we have five columns up with written comments and actually podcasted versions with people commenting on various albums. We have everyone from Gene Hoagland, uh, Charlie Benante. uh, We have Dave Elfson that sent in a bunch of comments. uh, Who else? Dave Reffitt, uh, Glenn Drover, Mark Striegel, uh, so on and so forth. We have people from Iron City Rocks, from Focus on Metal, uh, Metal Assault, uh, like I said, Despo Geek Podcast. If I'm missing out on someone, I apologize. I'm going off the top of my head. Have people from Metal Sucks. Uh, who else? Um, blistering.com. I don't want to forget anyone, and I apologize if I'm missing out. But because of that, there are links on the right-hand side of the Mars Attacks Radio homepage. Linking over to all of the sites that have 
provided us with their comments and we want to show us or we want to show them our love with having our listeners go over to their sites uh, and check out everything that they do. Uh, Death Metal Baboon is another one as well. Uh, They're coming to mind as I mentioned. Anyway, let's get into uh, a track before jumping into uh, the interview portion. Let's get into some music, feature some tracks that have been sent to me recently. Uh, This is from the band Wildstar. Wildstar is made up of Dave Starr, who used to be in Vicious Rumors, um, and also London Wild on lead vocals. Absolutely great lead vocalist. And um, this is a track that will be on their new album, A Telltale Heart, which will be out early next year. Definitely one of the albums that I'm looking forward to checking out. Really enjoyed Arrival. Thought it was a really cool mix of um, old and new. And I can't wait to hear uh, what they have in store for us. So let's check out A Little Wild Star.
That's Wildstar with Transformers Lygia. Uh, cool track, at least I dig it anyway. Uh, recently, Metallica's been celebrating their 30th anniversary with those Metallica XXX shows. And, of course, you have the biggest band of all time in metal, like it or not. Um, whenever they do something, they're always going to attract the most amount of hate out of any band. Whether you like what they've done, whether you don't like what they've done, you have to take your hats off to them. Four nights, 81 different songs, okay? What other band out there, and if you look at rock music, we're not going to stick to metal because let's make it an even broader spectrum, okay? Uh, Because this is going to show how few bands do what Metallica does with their live setting, okay? Metallica rotates on a nightly basis what songs they play. And my good friend Mitch LaFon over at Brave Words often discusses how Metallica can pull out and play one of 40 songs on any given night, okay? How many bands do you know that don't change their set list once throughout a tour. Setlist.com now exists, so you can go out there and reference this and check it out. Um, how many bands rotate, you know, three, four, five songs maybe? To play 81 songs in four nights? That's unheard of. That's absurd. You know, regardless of what you think of Metallica, you have to take your hats off to them. Just for that alone. And again, if you go through rock music, not only hard rock and metal, uh, what bands rotate You know, anywhere over five songs per night? Maybe U2? Maybe Pearl Jam? And that's it. There are no other bands that I know of that do this. You know, maybe there are some other bands out there, and you know, I'll, I'll plead ignorance regarding those other bands. But you really have to tip your hats to Metallica for doing this. And also... You know, bringing Jason Newstead up there, bringing uh, Dave Mustaine up there, uh, bringing Roy McGovney up there, bringing uh, Lloyd Grant up there. I mean, how cool was that to see them play Hit the Lights? You know, I hope that they put all this out on DVD because I will be one of the first people ordering that DVD and sitting there like a 13-year-old little boy uh, just soaking in that show because it will be just so cool being able to see all the different things that they did, all the different covers, all the new tracks. I may skip over the Lou Reed section there, but... And, you know, for all the shit that I've given them for Lulu, please, people, uh, if Metallica didn't want their name attached to that or didn't want that to be known as a Metallica album, for everyone that says, oh, it's not a Metallica album, don't put your fucking name... On the album, you know, James did the South Park soundtrack. There's nowhere on that soundtrack where it mentions James Hetfield. A bunch of the other members have played with different people, and they didn't put their names on the album. All of this changed after Some Kind of Monster, and after that entire process, they somehow now feel the need to attach your name onto everything. And, you know, I'm not saying that I 100% know this to be fact, but I have my feeling that that Beyond Magnetic EP was put out there to sort of quell the fires developed from the whole Lulu debacle. You know, um, I don't know. Someone in their camp really has to sit them down 
And I don't know if it's them. I don't know if it's, you know, their management or whatnot. And, you know, unfortunately, I will probably never interview a member of Metallica. Uh, so it won't be a problem, you know, regarding these comments that I'm going to make. But, you know, there's sometimes some of these projects that they go into where you really have to scratch your head. You know, with that said, I think that they're also big enough to admit that some of the things that they've done just don't make sense so again much respect to them uh can't wait for the dvd to come out or the show for the 30th anniversary but anyway let's get into another track off of something else that i've just recently received this is from orange goblin their album is going to be called the eulogy for the damned uh, i've seen people say oh you know this sounds a lot like um you know mastodon or volbeat Orange Goblin have been around for quite a bit longer than both of those bands, so um, sort of the other way around. Uh, This is a track that I believe is available for free download. It is called Red Tide Rising, and it is so freaking cool. Uh, This track really caught me uh, by storm, and when this album comes out early next year, definitely check it out. You know, it's one of those other albums that I will definitely look forward to uh getting i actually have but i think that you guys should really look forward to getting it will be out on um napalm records if i'm not mistaken uh if or maybe afm i'm sorry if i'm mixing that up but anyway orange goblin a eulogy for the damned this is red tide rising Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Been reading the Ace Frehley book that was co-written by my good friend John Astronomy, or John Ostrowski, as it is listed on the actual book itself from Talking Metal. Uh, again, we'll never be able to thank John and Mark enough for everything that they've done for my shows. Uh, anyway, really been enjoying the book. For any of you that have known me or uh, listened to these shows, you'll know that Kiss is the reason that I got into music. I was four years old, saw the image of Ace Frehley within the booklet that came within Alive 2, and that just did it. That hooked me in, and Alive 2 and Destroyer, you know, for many, many years, you know, as as a kid, just a little more than a toddler, you know, the only thing that I would ever listen to. But um, anyway, just thoroughly enjoying the book, as I stutter there. Uh, I am a slow reader. Um, I'm up to chapter 10, roughly. Uh, hopefully we'll be done within the next week or two with the book. Uh, received a bunch of other books as well at the same time. Found out that Amazon UK had a lot of these books and sort of saved saved the shipping costs from um, Barnes & Noble because Barnes & Noble was charging me close to 100 bucks to ship things over here. Uh, picked up Nikki Six's This Is Gonna Hurt. Picked up, uh, let's see, It's So Easy and Other Lies from Duff McKagan, Duff McKagan, excuse me, Corey Taylor, Seven Deadly Sins, and Iron Man from Tony Iommi from Black Sabbath. Uh, we'll be reading those throughout 2010. 2010, what the hell am I talking about? Going backwards instead of forward. 2012, uh, along with a bunch of other books that I have stockpiled here. Uh, I always say this, you know, I'm going to read these before I buy anything else, and then a bunch of cool books come out, and I will always want to get them in the hardcover version. So there you go. Hopefully be reading those uh, shortly. Uh, also, next week on Mars Attacks Radio, we're going to have the top albums of the year. Uh, really haven't had time to really poll people or whatnot. You know, I threw something up there on Twitter. Uh, got a little feedback. Um, what I'm going to do in the end is just list what I felt are my favorite albums of the year. A lot of great stuff came out this year. You know, I really hate it when people say, oh, you know, this year sucked, blah, blah, blah. You know, uh, music isn't what it used to be. Um, you know, whatever. It is what it is. Um, every year has good things. Every year has bad things. You just got to open your mind and look for some great, great music out there. Um, we're going to get into the interview portion now. I actually was really surprised uh, when I was contacted by this band, Edge of Paradise. Um, really knew nothing about them. Their lead singer, uh, Margarita Monet, sent me a link to download their album, listen to it, and really enjoy some of the tracks off of this album. They have a video for the title track, Mask. We're going to play that right now, and then we're going to jump into the interview portion with... Margarita.
let's see. On the band's bio page, it mentions yeah. that you and Dave were working on some uh, for higher projects when the two of you uh, actually met. Uh, can you mention what projects you guys were working on? Yes. Uh-huh. Um, we were for, oh, it was like my song uh, that we were working on. Uh, it was called Mystified with a producer. Um, and it was, he was like taking more of a pop rock direction. And it, it all happened about almost a year ago. And um, so it's me and my the producer I was working with were writing the song together, and we needed a guitar player, you know, to play mm-hmm. the guitar parts in the song. So um, we saw Dave playing guitar in a music store clinic, and we asked him to play on the song. But because um, I didn't really want to go, you know, pop or pop rock, you know, I never really wanted to go that direction. I wanted it to be like a hard rock song. So, like, you know, and the producer wanted it to be, like, more pop. So, you know, it wasn't really, the chemistry wasn't working. I don't know. It was just, like, not working. And, uh, um, you know, it was, like, things kind of fell into place because Dave was looking for a singer, and he already had, um, you know, a lot of material to work on. So uh, we kind of, you know, left that project and started working on our own thing. Okay. And when did you realize that you and Dave were going to click as a unit? Was it right away when you started working on your music that you knew that, wow, you know, maybe I should look into working with this guy? Or did it gradually build to that? You know, it was right away because um, when he came up with the guitar part for the song, you know, I automatically, I mean, loved what he came up with because we share, like, uh, a similar vision. And what happened was that when the producer was mixing the song, he completely buried all the guitars, so he could not hear a thing. (laughs) You know, it was just like drums in my voice, and I was like, what is that? You know, and um, so that's when I was kind of like, you know, I really want the songs to have that guitar in it, because I think it's really cool, and, you know, songs right now, they're very guitar-heavy, and and I really love that sound. So, but me and Dave, I mean, right away, because, I mean, we, you know, music, we live for it, and we share a lot of, you know, we like a lot of the stuff, you know, same stuff. I mean, our influences are similar, so everything just kind of clicked right away. Okay. And on the original recording of the album, you actually have Mm -hmm. Tony Franklin and Greg Bissonette uh playing on the album how did they get involved well um dave knew them for a long time already i know he met tony playing a a clinic they were both hired to do a clinic at a music store i guess and um because all the songs originally they started off as instrumentals because you know dave came up with a part and then he got tony and greg um and it was just like instrumental pieces, and it's a small world. I mean, in LA, you meet everybody every day, and you know he, you know he met Tony, and I was like, hey, Tony, check out my, my stuff when you play on it, and so he did. And um, you know, Greg, uh, I'm not sure how Dave knows Greg, but um, I think from Robin and Dave and Robin started to write songs together as well. 
so everybody just kind of knows each other and you know they just all started writing songs and recording the songs and then I came into the picture way later and the some of the tracks were actually already recorded when um, I met Dave so all we had to do is kind of um, you know change it up a little bit see where we wanted our sound what we wanted the sound to be like and we just re-recorded the vocal tr- tracks mostly we didn't even touch Tony's or Greg's part because it was just such a solid rhythm section, you know? Okay. And how difficult is it for the two of you to pick? Uh, you know, afterwards, obviously, um, you selected other players for a touring lineup. How mm-hmm. difficult is it for you to pick players having two legendary players like Tony Franklin and Greg Bissonette playing on your album? It's pretty hard because, um, I mean, there's this, um, I mean, one side of it is that people would want to replicate Greg and Tony, and, um, you know, sometimes it's just, you just can't do that because they have such signature sounds. Uh, I mean, Tony's bass playing is just like, you know, you can tell right away it's Tony Franklin because he right. plays for the fretless, and um, so it's difficult because we want the, you know, drummer and bass player to, to kind of stand on their own, and right. be able to carry their own part and at the same time be solid together and also be a part of the band. So it is very tricky to find, like, the right people that can, you know, carry the songs. But, I mean, there's there are a lot of musicians out here and a lot of good ones. So, <laughs> well, you know, there are people out there who can do that. And, you know, if they bring their own stuff, you know, their own twist to it, it's good, too, you know. Okay. And the album was released um, at the beginning of the fall. Uh, It Mm -hmm. seems to have received a lot of great reviews. Uh, Did you expect that you would receive so much love from the press? Uh, You know, we never really kind of thought about that because everything just happened very fast. Um, Because, like, when me and Dave formed the band, we were like, okay, we have to release a CD out just to solidify the band, you know, and, like, kind of put put us on the map. So, um, you know, we recorded them when we released it. Um, I mean, Dave, I think he was kind of expecting it because he was working on this music for a very, very long time. And, right. you know, having Greg and Tony and, you know, Robin as a co-writer and Ryan on this, Ryan is an, also a really great, songwriter, Ryan Jones, he co-wrote Mask, and, uh, you know, I mean, we did kind of expect that people were going to recognize, uh, you know, the musician musicianship, and that the tracks, of, you know, would polish them, and it's a long process that this, you know, the songs, you know, the evolution of the songs that, you know, it's bound to be something good, so... But at the, t- at the same time, it is kind of different, so we didn't really know how people were going to react um, mm-hmm. because it's not like, you know, the generic kind of metal song that you would hear today. So we we didn't really know what to expect, but, you know, we're very, very happy that people are liking it, you know, and we're working on some new stuff that's kind of like more solid of a what Edge of Paradise is, so, you know, we look forward to see how people respond to our next, you know, couple of songs. 
Okay. And how difficult is it to break out of the L.A. scene? Are there any preconceived notions when the band tries to play outside of L.A. what it's supposed to be about due to the fact that you guys are from in a, from L.A.? Excuse me. Um, yes, there, there are always some kind of preconceived notions, but, I mean, L.A. is a really tough market altogether because there's just so many, I mean, bands and different genres, and it's just, like, everybody here. Uh, so when you go out of L.A., I mean, the thing is, we haven't really been touring yet, you know, we're going to start touring in the new year, so I'm not really sure how people are going to, you know, if they're going to judge us in the live, you know, in the live performances, but from, you know, from the internet standpoint or from, like, what we've been talking to people outside of LA right now, they don't, you know, they never really (laughs) mentioned that, oh, we're from LA, they expect this or that, Um, but... I'm expecting that, of course, there's going to be some kind of, oh, you guys are from L.A., I was expecting this, not this, but, right. you know, I guess it's all in the future. We shall see. <laughs> okay, and what are the plans to tour? Is there anything in place already, or is that something that's in the works right now? It's in the works right now. We have a couple of touring opportunities. Um, we want to be a supporting act on a national tour right now. Um, so there's just, you know, we're working with different opportunities to tour, you know, different bands that we could jump on to tour with. And, um, you know, in the next couple of months, it's going to be in place, solid. So we'll announce it to everybody. But, you know, touring is definitely the most important part. So we're looking forward to, you know, taking the music to the people. Okay. And uh, one of the things that sort of surprised me from the uh, questions part of your website is, uh, or the interview section, I'm sorry, uh, were so many people or so many interviews that were surprised when uh, when either you or Dave mentioned that your influences aren't all hard rock or metal. Uh, my question is, do these people expect... You know, metal fans, metal musicians to only live in a cave and only listen to metal music? You know, um, kind of yes and no, because, and especially now, metal is getting, um, like, there's so many subgenres of metal. Like, there's different cores, there's dooms, I don't know, there's just, like, all of this different metal out there. And, right. you know, people are expecting that if you are into metal, you're just going to listen to different kinds of metal, you know? And um, I, I guess, you know, sometimes it's not considered, like, you can't listen to, like, I mean, pop, you can't listen to pop. That's like a death sentence, you know? Right. But, um, I mean, you know, it also, like, it's different when you're a musician or when you're just, like, into music and you like listening to metal. If metal is what you're into, then, yeah, you can listen to metal. But I think when you're a musician and you're trying to come up with a some, you know, a new sound, um, it's really important to listen to all kinds of genres and, to, you know, and figure out your style because the metal, you know, 
our metal can contain many different um, influences from all different styles, you know, jazz or blues or wh- what have you, you know. Right. Okay. So, mm-hmm. okay. And um, being obviously that you're a female um, in the metal industry uh, and things like the uh, hottest chicks in metal and things like that are so predominant nowadays. Um, obviously, there's a certain focus on you when it comes to the promos and videos and whatnot. Um, when it comes to having someone get you ready for these promos, how much say do you actually have with how they dress you up? Or is it you that comes to these sets uh, with what you're wearing? Or do they always point you in a direction to what, you know, maybe the PR wants or maybe what the label wants, things like that? Uh, Well, so far, I've had a lot of say because, um, you know, we are new band so we're it's still, you know us that are creating our image and uh, you know till this point most of you know everything is we've been doing it ourselves so I did have a lot of say and um of course you know we listen to what you know Chip wants or you know what the PR has to you know just to make it sellable because you know you have to these days but um, right. I didn't, you know, I don't want to, because, like, it is hard being a, you know, a female f- woman, I mean, a, you know, a female front and band, because people are automatically going to be like, oh, well, she's a chick, and she's dressing like, you know, she, she thinks she's a hot chick, so, you know, she thinks she can have it all just because she looks hot or something, you know, but we don't want to, we want it to be first about the music, and then... You know, I mean, you have to have some sort of an image, but we just want to make sure that, you know, people don't judge us because of what I may look like or what the band may look like. You know, I want them to, um, you know, hear the music first and, uh, you know, make their judgment of whether they like the band or not based on music. Okay. And, you know, it's... (laughs) It's always a challenge because you you never know what people are gonna think, but okay. you know, yeah. Okay, and what do you do to keep your voice in shape? Voice, my voice in shape. Yes. Um. Well, I practice a lot, do a lot of scales. Um, you know, just a lot of a lot of singing and, um, you know, coming up with new melodies and new stuff, you know, you have to uh, see what your voice is capable of doing. And, um, you know, honestly, singing is new to me because I never really thought I was going to be a front person of a metal group. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, wake up every day and like, what? But, um, you know, I noticed... <laughs> I noticed that my voice is evolving, you know, and I can do much more with it uh, than what I could maybe a year ago. And every day is, you know, it's very exciting to see, um, you know, what limits you can push yourself to and, um, you know, what notes you can hit today and you couldn't yesterday, you know. So um, it's just constant practicing and uh, coming up with new ideas and, you know, trying to make your voice 
know, be able to do that. Okay. Where should people go to keep up with you and the band? Well, we have our website, which is edgeofparadiseband.com, and all the links are on there. So we try to keep it as updated as possible. And uh, we're also on Facebook, like the rest of the world right now. <laughs> so um, you can find us on Facebook. It's the Edge of Paradise. And, you know, we're always happy to hear from everybody and you know, try to respond to everyone as soon as we can. So, you know, we keep up with us. Hi, this is Marguerite Monet. I'm from Edge of Paradise, and you are listening to Mars Attacks Radio.
Margarita Monet and Edge of Paradise. Want to thank Chip from Chipster PR for helping set all that up. Up next, we have Van Gogh. We have Clay from Van Gogh. He is their lead guitarist, lead vocalist, mastermind per se. Uh, he's actually lending some comments to the Mars Attacks Classic Albums column. If you don't know what the Classic Albums column is all about, it's basically a bunch of people from within the interview industry, excuse me, uh, show hosts, producers, musicians, so on and so forth that are commenting on specific albums. Last time around it was Megadeth's Peace Cells, uh, we've done Van Halen 2 by Van Halen, uh, Cleansing by Prong, Queens of the Stone Age Songs for the Death, uh, Tools Enema, and we kick things off with Metallica's And Justice for All. So go to the Mars Attacks radio site to find out more about that. Uh, in any event, let's jump into Drained by Van Gogh, and then we'll jump into the interview with Clay. <laughs>
getting started with the interview, Van Gogh essentially sort of spawned off of your solo project, correct? Yeah, that's right. Uh, do you want me to elaborate on that? or? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure, if you don't mind. Well, uh, Dissonance Rising from 2007, yeah, that was kind of like my first step into the music industry, I guess. <laughs> okay. And um, Kingdom of Ruin is essentially your third album. Um, would you consider this a concept album? Um, yeah, I guess going by kind of how we've all, you know, since uh, 60s progressive rock or proto-progressive rock started, that idea of the concept album, I guess, it does kind of follow that that paradigm, yeah. Okay. And... Um... What sort of influenced you to to sort of go in that direction with this album? Just, you know, the, the influences that you just mentioned, those 60 prog rock type albums, or did it just sort of come out that way? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I'm, I'm always curious how other bands do the same thing, but I guess for me, I always write from a melodic perspective, so I really came up with a musical theme that I wanted to uh, carry out throughout the whole album. And okay. so, yeah, it started more of like a, a musical concept or a thematic concept, and then the story kind of started developing after that. So, yeah, you know, I guess it, it did start from a musical perspective and just fleshed naturally out after that. Okay. And roughly how long did it take you to write the entire album? Uh, funny thing is, I wrote this one, like, <clears throat> excuse me, like, I think it was about two years ago, uh, huh. right after we released Game On, uh, which was kind of like a little bonus album of video game cover songs that we put out. And uh, it took me about, I don't know, maybe two or three months of just kind of like back and forth revisions. Okay. Yeah. Oh. And why did it take two years to um, to put it out? Is it just that you were just refining everything and were finally happy with the way that the songs were put together or maybe sounded, you know, when they were recorded? Yeah, uh, let's see. Yeah, it was kind of like a long process because we didn't just get into the studio and just start hammering away at it. <clears throat> you know, we uh, recorded the drums in like the spring and then a few months passed because, uh, you know, I'm, we're all working full time, you know, I'm, I'm full time uh, teaching at the university here in Oklahoma so like I waited until the summer to do my parts like the guitar and, and vocals and stuff right and, and it was and then it was like the fall when we started finally mixing and then we started mastering and the spring after that so it was just like a very spaced out process so that's kind of why it stretched out as long as it did I think okay and how much of your sound do you attribute to being in a city like Oklahoma City um yeah, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Oklahoma. It's uh, it's a really awesome, very kind of quiet, peaceful place to live. But not like a lot of of the of the hometown music really has influenced me a whole lot. If that's kind okay. of what you're asking, um, I, uh, I I was sort of going more in the sense that you know bands maybe move to say L.A. or New York to sort of achieve a specific sound. Maybe being in a city that's say atypical for yeah. you know for the music industry maybe that helped give you guys some more breathing room with what you guys wanted to do 
yeah, and that, that actually makes perfect sense. And uh, it's it's funny that you mentioned that because that's one of the things I, I tell my students. You know, I mean, you've, a lot of times you're limited on where you live, you know, on how you can market your music. But for me, it's always been an economic factor in that, you know, I have a, a, a career here. And, right. uh, it, you know, and I'd I rather play it safe. And, you know, and I've got the flexibility to make my music and market it to an international audience. And so... I don't feel like I, I have to go to L.A. or New York City or Boston, uh, but I understand the the, my, the limitations that I've imposed on myself by kind of staying where I am. Right. Well, the Internet sort of helps uh, level the playing field as well. It isn't as if you absolutely have to be there where yeah. with the way that the industry is set up nowadays, you can – you know, record pretty much anywhere and make your music available to anyone around the world. That's true. Yeah, that's true, man. That's how Dissonance Rising started. You know, I, I met <laughs> plenty of interesting contacts in Italy and in Poland and and uh, and and, and uh, in England. And you know, it's kind of interesting that a lot of my early contacts were outside of the United States completely. Right. Okay, and one of the things that you mentioned uh, before was the importance of being melodic with your music. The first thing that really struck me uh, with the band was your voice and the keyboards. With most prog metal or prog rock bands, um, the keyboards aren't this, I don't know, for lack of a better term, as spooky or maybe evil sounding with some of the, uh, you know, songs. And I think it fit the mood really well. And, you know, like I said, your voice really stands out with how melodic it is. And it really isn't a clone of anyone else that's out there doing this sort of music. Uh, well, yeah, I think that's, uh, I guess that's a good way to put it. I do focus on those two aspects that you mentioned a whole lot, uh, the vocals and the keyboards, because I feel like there's uh, a lot of versatility to be had with those two instruments. Because right. without without those things, you know, you know, there's uh, there's rock and roll, you know, and then there's and then there's progressive rock. And I think a lot of people's idea of progressive rock is there's got to be some cool experimental elements in there. Right. And I think ha having a cool dynamic range vocally is something that for me personally I really I really like to hear in a lot of bands that I listen to. So I, I tried to express that as best I could at least from my for my own ability on this album. Okay. And um you keep mentioning uh being a teacher. How did you get into teaching? Um I was well, cuz I got my master's degree from uh University of Oklahoma in <laughs> in advertising and strategic communications. And uh, and while I was there, I was doing the teaching assistant gig, uh, which was paying the bills, and and uh, so that kind of helped me get into the teaching realm because you know you it kind of naturally puts you into the to the network for teaching and and that for that academic level, and right. uh, and so you know and then actually after that it was like a, a 180. I was then teaching music after I graduated at uh, our other state university, so now. I'm, you know, teaching music at, at school full time, which is great. Kind of keeps me, you know, keeps my mind energized and always thinking about music. Right. And as far as the students that you teach, do they need to have a specific level of knowledge to take your courses, or uh, is it not structured that way at all? Uh, 
I think it'd be funny if they're listening to this, they're going to call me out on this, but, uh, <laughs> uh, no, uh, you know, it really depends. I teach, uh, all levels really like there's all levels cause it's, uh, there's a lot of freshman classes. So a lot of the students that come in are, are, you know, right out of high school and they don't really have any musical experience or any other, uh, kind of, uh, experience related to the music industry. So I really don't make assumptions on anybody because I know how it is to be a freshman in college. Sometimes you just don't know anything. And so right. you kind of start. It's kind of start from the ground level and work your way up. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I hear you. <laughs> I think <laughs> we've all gone through that when you reach that level and you realize uh, the differences there are from the different high schools. Uh, you know, yeah. when you call people together. So I, I understand hundred percent. Exactly. 100%. exactly. Uh, tell us a little bit about the gear that you used with this album. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I use the Mesa Boogie Road King 2, which is, uh, amp that I've been using live, and, uh, we're using that with my, I used two different guitars for this album. I have an Ibanez Prestige 7-string guitar, okay. and, uh, then I also used, uh, a Music Man Petrucci 6 for the 6-string songs on the album. So uh, if you listen to the first half of the album, those are all seven-string songs, and then the, then the second half of the album I did with the Petrucci six guitar. So you probably pick up a little bit of the difference tonally, um, you know, as you're listening. And you know that was I think that was the only gear that I used on the keyboard side. We used the uh, the Korg M3, which is like a really very versatile keyboard. And uh, I also use a little bit of the Roland Phantom XA. And I think uh, between those two guys, I mean, you know, I feel like the sky's the limit, you know, with the keyboard stuff. Right. Okay. And as far as the guitars are concerned, the two that you mentioned, do you have them modified in any sense? The Are the pickups stock? Did you have them changed? And do you use standard tuning for both of those guitars? Yeah. Yeah, standard tuning for both. Uh, you know, I'm I'm pretty lame when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to gear because like uh, I uh, as long as it makes the noise I want it to make, which normally is like right out of the box. You know, I'm like, okay, cool, this makes a sound. Let's let's use it. And uh, <laughs> and so yeah, I didn't change the pickups on those. Um, I have on my other some of my other guitars, but on these particular models, they're just factory stock and. You know, and uh, and same on the, the amps, you know. I just, to me, it sounded really cool. I was like, yeah, it's uh, kind of has that raw vibe to it. That was kind of what I was going for. Okay. And from a singer standpoint, who would you consider your biggest influence? Um, I, I, That's a good question. I, there's, I pick up a lot from different people. I, you know, from when I was a very early age, uh, you know, guys like Billy Ocean and... Uh, Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie were like very influential for me. Okay. Um, especially, especially their songwriting too, but also their vocal style really influenced me. And then, you know, as I got, as I got older, Metallica and Megadeth, you know, in high school was a big influence. And then, you know, most recently, gosh, uh, I guess, you know, Pain of Salvation is probably my number one, like the most influential vocal style that I've, I've picked up mostly because of how dynamic it is and uh, how emotional it is. I feel like that's such an important part of music is to get that 
emotion across in the music. Okay. And if money was no option whatsoever, you'd be given an unlimited supply to put a festival together that would feature Van Gogh and a band that currently exists and a band yeah. that no longer exists. Who would be the two bands you would pick? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, that's a good question. I would really love to play with uh, Orphaned Land. I think... Uh, they're a current band that I think is just awesome. So, so promising, you know, and uh, an amazing range of styles. And a band that no longer exists, hmm, I, I, would, uh, would Frank Zappa's original band count? I know that, you know, his sure. doing, you know, his <laughs> own Zappa thing, but I, I kind of feel like, you know, original Frank Zappa would be, so awesome and it would be that would be like the ultimate kind of spread of really eclectic rock and roll you know what i mean right. you're getting a really good spread you'd have pretty much every bass covered there <laughs> yeah i hope that's it because i was just thinking of you know thinking about that i was like i'd want to play with some pretty eclectic guys you know that really aren't sounding too much like us but right still still rock and roll right right, right. no very cool very cool answer indeed. Yeah, most people, uh, uh, I, well, I could say nine times out of ten, everyone says, or everyone who I asked that question to says Pantera or Led Zeppelin. So it's cool to hear something else <laughs> thrown into the yeah. mix. Well, if you haven't checked out Orphan Land, they're uh, very different sounding, but excellent, excellent band. Okay. And uh, where should people go to find out about Van Gogh? Um, I think our main website is a good place because it links to our Facebook, officialvangogh.com, V-A-N-G-O-U-G-H is how we spell it. Um, and if you go there, we've got our, our, our music video because we just put out a music video for Drained with the first single off the album, and that's right there smack dab on the front page. And uh, and then it links to our Facebook, which is a good place that you can just chat with us and, you know, interact directly with us. This is Clay Withrow from Van Gogh, and you're listening to Mars Attacks.
abandoned me and uh definitely check them out really interesting band mix of pretty much everything you know a little uh you know heavy stuff there some progressive stuff and uh really interesting mix at least in my opinion the album is a concept album it is called kingdom of ruin uh we're gonna get into the kitty portion of the episode uh i mentioned in the black previously before starting things up uh let me get into a track that probably a album cut is what this would be considered because it wasn't one of the singles but i still really really like this track it is now or never by kitty coming off of in the black
There you go, a little now or never coming off of In the Black. This next track comes off of the album Until the End. I've always really liked this track. It is Into the Darkness. To my favorite track off of I've Failed You. The name of this track is What Have I Done? And after that, we'll jump right into the interview with Morgan.
In the Black seemed like a turning point for the band. And the new album uh, seems to be a continuation of the foundation that you guys had uh, pretty much started with that album. Do you feel yeah. that there that's a fair assessment? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think um, it has a lot to do with uh, um, the solidified lineup and the chemistry that we have between the four girls. Um, in the Black, for me, really was sort of like a redefining and a rebirth of the band. Um, right. And uh, sort of, like you said, you know, the foundation of things and, and uh, where I failed you is sort of, you know, building upon that. And, you know, metaphorically, you know, if it was a house, you know, uh, the foundation was laid and then, you know, we're building the walls. And obviously the structure is not complete yet, which I think is the really exciting part because, um, right. you know, having the ability to, uh, you know, continue on with this lineup uh, at the strength that uh, it's at, you know, it's only going to yield uh, more incredible results, you know, as time goes on. Right. Okay. And what makes it so special for the four of you? I mean, you've gone through so many members in the past, but the four of you together have made, you know, again, something very special and unique with these two albums. Yeah. You know, it, sometimes it's really hard to define, I think. Um, I think a lot of it uh, does have to do with age and maturity, uh, you know, above and beyond the fact that, you know, we're all really great friends and we have great musical chemistry uh, together. You know, I think uh, having, especially for Mercedes, having gone through the things that we've been through uh, with the lineup changes and the band and all the different things that have gone on, um, we're really able to appreciate when people really click with us. And, uh, um, but I mean, in terms of the actual chemistry, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly undeniable, but it's really something that you can't, you know, pinpoint. I think we're all just, um, you know, on the same wavelength and we all have the same common goals in mind when it comes to the band. You know, we all want the same things for the band and we all want to move in the same direction. And I think because we're all pushing for that, it, it definitely helps uh, to, you know, strengthen things. Okay. And uh, as far as the writing behind the album, uh, when did that start? Um, actually, uh, when we got off tour with Devil Driver uh, last fall, we sort of uh, took a few months break. Uh, and in those few months, I know that uh, we all were just sort of recuperating from the full year of touring that we did. And, um, you know, we really just uh, wanted to recharge our batteries or whatever. And uh, But in the meantime, you know, we were also starting to think about uh, the writing and formulating ideas and riffs and stuff like that. But we didn't actually get together as a full band to sort of, you know, lay out all of the ideas that we've accumulated over the past few months at home until the beginning of the new year. So we started uh, really writing around Christmas time, January, um, and uh, wrote straight pretty much for, for four months until we went into the studio. Okay. And interestingly enough, with this album, when you guys did go back into the studio, you worked with Siegfried again. Mm-hmm. Um, what does he add to the mix? Um, well, I think the beauty of working with, with Siggy is that, um, you know, not only is he uh, wildly talented and he has uh, a great vision when it comes to to, uh, to music and he really knows, you know, how to get the sounds that, uh, that he he desires and that we desire, but, um, you know, not only that, but he's a great friend. You know, we've, I've known Siggy for 10 years. Uh, he worked on Oracle with us. Um, and so we've actually also, 
I guess, you know, created a really great, like, friendship bond with him, you know, like, we're actually personal friends, you know, like, his, we hang out with his girlfriend and that sort of thing, too, so, um, <clears throat> it's, uh, it's just a really cool dynamic to be able to work with somebody that knows you that well and that you feel really comfortable with, and I think that environment really helps to bring out the best in us, you know, it's not, um, there's not really all that much pressure, and for us, I feel like we work best, uh, under, um, familiar circumstances, you know, like we've always written the same way, you know, in the same manner, sort of the same area, um, you know, Kitty HQ or whatever, um, <laughs> and we've, you know, the last two albums obviously have yielded these results for a reason, you know, we're very comfortable uh, with going there and uh, familiar surroundings, and um, it's relaxing, so there isn't that pressure, and you don't really feel, um, you know, obligated to, like, rush or anything like that, which is nice. Okay. And uh, as far as your singing style is concerned, mm-hmm. um, it predates a lot of what female singers have done after Kitty initially broke. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, it was really atypical when uh, the first album came out. Uh, who influenced you to go with a guttural and a clean style at mm-hmm. the same time with your singing? Um, well, honestly, I mean... To me, it was more about the feeling and the emotion rather than, um, uh, you know, than being influenced by someone in particular. And, you know, by no means was I ever really influenced by, you know, women in metal or anything like that. But, uh, I don't know. It's, um, yeah, it was, it was more about the emotional things rather than, uh, than, you know, like saying, like, oh, I look up to, like, you know, a particular singer. So, I don't know. Right. I just kind of, okay. you know, to me, it was just, it was just, to me, it was easy. <laughs> okay. Um, do you feel that you pioneered a specific style that a lot of people somewhat copied after you? Um, well, no, not really. I mean, to me, I was just, you know, I was just sort of doing what felt right. And, I mean, I don't, you know, I certainly don't take credit for, for the popularity of, of you know, female-fronted bands or whatever, that's not my place, you know, I'm just one of many, um, but, you know, I think, you know, we certainly had the right idea, and, and it, it definitely helped, and, and I think maybe influenced people, you know, whether they admit it or not, which is, which is cool, but <laughs> so I certainly right. won't, you know, take credit for it. Right, well, that's interesting, that's something that, um, I spoke to Alexis Brown from mm-hmm. Straight Line Stitch about how, uh, you know, certain bands may have not been trendy or hip, and even though they've influenced, uh, you know, a specific band, a, a singer like we're discussing now, uh, people haven't wanted to admit, you know, maybe that Kitty really was an influence. Uh, yeah, well, maybe... I mean, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, like, uh, I, I think I kind of see, you know, sometimes it's not cool to like our band. You know, we're not like, yeah. you know, a hip, trendy band or whatever, and but you know, we have staying power and we've been doing this for a long time. And so obviously we're doing something right and people are appreciating what we do. And, and no, and I, I kind of agree, you know, I mean, like I said, it's not cool to like our band, but, um, I think, uh, we inadvertently did, uh, influence a lot of people and not just women in metal, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to go that way, but what we did definitely, it, it definitely had an impact. Okay. And uh, Spit came out roughly 12 years ago. What has changed for you guys uh, in metal? Metal has always been, you know, uh, predominantly, 
you know, male. So obviously when you guys broke, again, it was something that was very atypical. Have things changed for you guys? Do you still come up against, you know, uh, pig-headed people that don't want to accept you because you are females or is none of that uh, existent anymore? Uh, no, of course. It's always going to be there. You know, it's always going to be there. The, the gender bias is always going to be there just as long as, you know, as long as any other sort of, you know, so social injustice, injustice is going to be there. You know what I mean? Like, right. uh, it's, you know, I mean, there are certainly more, uh, um, female fronted in female, you know, bands or whatever, um, than there were when we first came out, but that doesn't necessarily, you know, make it easier. It just, you know, there's, there's more of us. And so, uh, it's, I guess, perhaps a little bit more widely accepted, but for all of us, it certainly doesn't make it easier. Um, you know, the world still is the way that it is, you know. Um, you know, there's still racism, there's still sexism, you know, there's still, um, you know, gay bashing, and, and you know, it's, we don't live in a magical world of of uh, perfection, you know. So everybody right. has their opinion, and, and uh, for me, I just try to ignore it, and we do what we do, <laughs> and we do it well, and right. uh, that's that's the best way to go about things. Right. Okay. Um, tell us a little bit about the gear that you use, and how does that change from, say, a studio environment to a live environment? Um, well, I mean, obviously, in a studio, we kind of, you know, we we do use a few more embellishments, like different pedals and stuff like that. But um, but for the most part, uh, gear-wise, you know, I personally use my live rig. I think, you know, it's easiest to capture know, what we're all about, you know, for me, I think the live setting is, is definitely uh, the intensity of Kitty and uh, it's sort of the heart of, of of this band, so we try to capture that in the studio, and, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not really like a gearhead, I don't fuck around <laughs> too much with uh, too many things, I think if it sounds good and it works, then keep it that way. Right. You're still using the uh, Hamer Flying V? I am. That's that's correct. I have a couple of them, and uh, they're both uh, they're, they're both exactly the same, save for like different knob shape and uh, inlays, and that's really it. And uh, yeah, and I I mean live I, now I've been using the Mesa Road King, but you know okay. triple Road King or dual, you know, usually is kind of our our go to go to uh, amp. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was lucky enough to see you guys. Um with uh god forbid in new york and, uh, ah yeah that was a great show great tour bb kings yeah and uh gwen stacy actually yeah uh, um yeah it was a really cool show and it was the first time that i'd seen you guys live and uh, it was funny because of all the pictures that i posted on my site the first thing everyone asked you know what are they like live i said they'll kick your ass live you know it was yeah well thank just you a, a very impressive show that you know i don't think well me being a a first timer at one of your shows really wasn't mm-hmm. expecting the show to be so full on. So yeah, well, I, I I receive that that sort of feedback uh, all the time. You know, like for instance, there's a, a guy who uh, was at one of our shows in Arizona on this tour, and you know, he said he'd been a longtime fan. Uh, you know, bought all the albums. You know, bought Spit when it came out or whatever, and had never seen us uh, play before. Right. And he actually was really surprised. He said, you know, I didn't actually, you know, I knew that you guys would be a great band, but I didn't really 
expect it to be as intense and amazing as it was. And I mean, yeah. to me, I, that that just that just shows me that you know we're we obviously are doing something right, and that um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, yeah, uh, we're we're certainly doing something right, and I think more people need to see it. Right. More people need to know. I I agree. Uh, not too long ago, you guys played with a, a friend of the show, um, Jeff Pollock from Lazarus AD. Yes, indeed. Um, how'd you guys hook up with Jeff, and why did he have to uh, step in and play for Ivy? All right. Well, um, funny enough, Jeff is actually he's living on the bus with us because he's playing bass for Dirge Within, and we're sharing a bus on this tour. Oh, um, okay. Dirge was without a bass player um, for the tour, and he's a good friend of, of theirs, and he's sort of from the area, and uh, he said that he would come in, come out and do the tour. So, yeah, I mean, Jeff's a good dude, and, you know, we're, we are all became fast friends or whatever, and uh, there was an instance when, like, how the whole thing it came about was uh, when Hurricane, when Hurricane Irene was happening, um, right. we ended up having to cancel a couple of shows because uh, in lieu of the hurricane, it, one show was in New Jersey, and they were really worried about um, the impact uh, that it was going to have, and, you know, if it was going to end up being a, a, a big problem, you know, they were evacuating people and all this, so we ended up going upstate to Rochester for a few days to let the uh, let the storm blow over and, you know, figure out what our next move was in case uh, there was a huge disaster or whatever, and, uh, you know, a few days off um, on a tour, uh, kind of, you know, kind of boring or whatever, and actually Sean Glass from, uh, from Dirge Within uh, made a few phone calls in the area and uh, he found a show um, in in Rochester that was going on, and it was like a local band festival. And he actually got us all uh, a slot each for Dirge and for us on the festival. Now, um, prior to this, um, Ivy uh, had gotten married, and she's married to an American. And uh, she actually was planning already on the day off to uh, fly back home to Indianapolis to uh, attend a an immigration meeting and, like, you know, to get her citizenship or whatever. And right. so that was already planned. And uh, so, obviously, that was the day that was supposed to be the day off, and she had to go to Indy uh, to, for her prior obligations or whatever. And so we were like, okay, well, should we play the show or not? You know, it's a free show, and, and you know, we're not getting paid, but it'll be fun and it's something to do or whatever. And so uh, Jeff took it upon himself to learn uh, the first block of our set, which is about 20 minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, he learned uh, five or six songs, and uh, it was awesome. You know? And we just went and played with him. You know, it was really just kind of a fun thing, and, and we really, he pulled it off. It was amazing, and we're really glad that uh, he was able to do that. We're really thankful. Yeah, great guy. I got to meet him uh, a few months ago uh, here sure. in Spain when uh, Lazarus was playing. So. Yeah, sure. Um, a few years back when I spoke to your sister, I tried to bait her into a hockey question. She said, uh, ask my sister, and I'm going to ask you about hockey, because she said she knew absolutely nothing about the sport. Um, yeah, I'm, I don't so, know too much about it either, to be honest with you. I <laughs> might know more than her, but okay. fairly. No, my, my only question was, since you guys are originally from London, halfway between mm-hmm. Detroit and Toronto, which of the two teams do you root for? Uh, oh, the Maple Leafs, obviously. It's a given. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and where should people go to find out about the band's dates and everything else that's um, 
that you want people to know about regarding the band? For sure. Um, well, uh, first off, our new album, I Failed You, is up now. Uh, you can check out all of, uh, all of the, you know, the details, the links, and everything, all, all the up-to-date news on Kitty tour dates, everything at kittyrocks.com. You can also like us on Facebook. Uh, it's Kitty Page. And we have an official Twitter, which is at uh, Official Kitty, and official YouTube, which is uh, Kitty Channel. And uh, that's basically it for uh, all the social networking. I mean, we have Reverb Nation and all that stuff as well. So uh, right. feel free to lurk us. And uh, especially with the website, you know, we have a forum that we're very active in, and there's a lot of people on there that are, you know, it's a great community, forum regulars and all that. So, um, you know, join and uh, join the conversation. What's up? This is Morgan from Kitty, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. failed you from kitty want to thank not only morgan for coming on uh but also margarita and clay from van gogh want to thank everyone who helped set the various interviews up bill meese from e1 for kitty 
uh, John Freeman from Freeman PR for setting up Clay from Van Gogh and Chip from Chipster PR who helped set the interview up with Margarita. Just want to remind you to go to MarsAttacksRadio.com to read all the latest news regarding the Mars Attacks Radio show and podcast. want to also remind you to check out the Twitter uh, which will let you know, you know, when we're editing various episodes or when we're interviewing different people. That is Mars Aries 2005. In any event, you'll find links to all of that right there on the homepage of Mars Attacks Radio. We're going to leave you with one final track by Kitty coming off of I've Failed You. The name of this track is Whisper of Death. Thanks again for listening, and see you next time right here on the Mars Attacks podcast. All that I am, I let slip through my head.